0: You're listening to All The Best, I'm Melchun. Last Tuesday, the 1st of February, was the start of the Lunar New Year. It's the year of the tiger, a symbol of bravery and strength, something it feels like we all need right now to face an uncertain year. The Chinese New Year Festival, or Spring Festival, is traditionally a time to spend with family, and with easing restrictions across Australia, more people will be able to gather with their families to celebrate this year. But international travel is still difficult, and many are facing yet another holiday celebration away from their loved ones.
1: I think to me, the idea of celebrating Lunar New Year is all about like family reunited because I. Not only celebrate with my parents, I will just celebrate with my whole family. I mean a big family, like my grandparents, my aunties, uncles and cousins. So definitely it's a big family reunion and it is very fun.
0: Yimin Chiang came to Australia to study just before the pandemic. And she didn't realise how long it would be until she saw her family again
1: three years ago when I just about to leave China, me and my parents, we just think it's not a big deal because we just feel like we would actually see each other pretty easy at least once a year. But it's been the three years I didn't see them. I remember three or four days ago before the Lunar New Year Eve, my mom just told me actually she doesn't feel like Prepare anything for Lunar New Year because I'm not here. So, like, the whole thing about celebrating New Year is not so much fun to her. So, she tried to, like, avoid the idea of celebrating Lunar New Year.
0: But for Imin, there's one thing that makes her feel a bit less homesick.
1: I remember last year around probably September is Mid Autumn Festival. And on that day, I craved like mooncake very much, which is an extremely sweet dessert. And I found it quite odd because I never like eating sweet things at the very first place. Then after that, I realized actually it's not my stomach wanting to eat mooncake. It's my brain missing the Sort of tradition of celebrating that festival in our own way and our home. So I think after that experience, I think actually food memory is quite strong and powerful.
0: In our first story this week, Imin makes hot pot with her Australian family and finds a home away from home.
1: Mama and Dad may see. We have been sleeping on your bed for more than 10 days. One week ago, I received this message from my dad. He was a bit tipsy on the day of my mom's birthday. Normally, my dad is not an expressive person, even after drinking. My mom told me some nights when he comes home from drinking, he will walk directly into my bedroom and lay on my bed for a few minutes. Sometimes, He would just huddle his body together back to my mom, remaining silent as my mother asked if he's okay. He's missing me. It's a Chinese father's love, not talkative, but deep. I left China two years ago to pursue my master's degree here. In the global pandemic, I missed my parents' birthday twice and missed spring festival twice, which will soon become three times. For me, being away from home for a long time faded many memories of the past. But one kind of memory remains strong and fresh. Food memory. When the feeling of homesickness is getting stronger and stronger, one month ago, on a normal Saturday afternoon, after the familiar comfort of eating hot pot with a group of foreign people, I feel like I was going back to China and reconnecting with my family, a familiar place, and a sense of belonging. That's the power of food memory, and it's about a Chinese person using it to shorten the distance between her hometown and wherever she is. Hot pot, this popular Chinese dish, was introduced from the Zhou dynasty over 2,000 years ago. To me, it's more than food, it's the epitome of my family. I like tomato-based soup, with a combination of sesame oil and sauce, it's fresh, sweet and sour. My mom likes nanami and intimidating Sichuan spicy soup. A traditional Beijing hot pot with the characteristics of northern Chinese cuisine is always my dad's favorite. Hot pot, no matter how different our taste is, a three or four grid pot, can place us so easily.
2: So from a very young age, my family went to Chinese restaurants. It was like a sort of false kind of culture. They served a lot of fried rice with spam in it as well as a lot of different dishes.
1: Anthony Kapp, a typical Australian and my boyfriend, didn't have many chances to try the type of food that Chinese people will ordinarily eat. For me, hot pot tastes like home, family and safety but for him, it was sort of an alien food.
2: I think my experiences with eating Chinese food regularly happened around 2018, which was my final year of my undergraduate degree. I took a subject researching various topics in China.
1: During that trip, Anthony and his group mates entered a franchise hot pot restaurant.
2: So we got all the ingredients and kind of went crazy. The flavour was not quite anything I'd had before. It had a certain unique kind of spice and aroma to it. Oh, and there was a dancing noodle guy.
1: Wait, a dancing noodle guy?
2: Yeah, there was a guy who was dancing around with the noodles, twirling the noodles all over the place. So it was definitely an experience.
1: Apart from the dancing noodle guy, Anthony learned a valuable lesson.
2: I was drinking too much soup. It tastes pretty good, I don't mind that. But if you drink too much of it, Your stomach won't thank you for it. The morning after, I went for a walk, and I realised I was in trouble. And so I ended up running home. Uh, But I didn't quite make it. Uh, There was a lot of cleaning up to be done.
1: I hope he learned that hot pot soup is not for drinking after that. Anthony didn't have much hot pot upon returning to Australia. After all, in Melbourne, there are not so many hot pot restaurants in the Southeast suburbs where he lives. However, he soon found a new reason too.
2: When I started seeing Emin, I found myself being reintroduced to hot pot. We decided that one day, Iman and I would come over to my family's house to share dinner with them. We would bring her hot pot equipment over and cook for them.
1: Hot pot is not a complex dish to make. When we got there, we started to wash everything and cut up all the vegetables. We had beef, lamb, food and vegetables, such as potatoes, radishes, mushrooms, and some greens. Can you help me to cut this mushroom? Do you,
2: want, do you want all of it, or like half or
1: something? Probably half. Okay. Mm-hmm. Once each ingredient is prepared, we make our homemade sauce with sesame oil, soy sauce, garlic, and things like that. How many garlics
2: do you want? I don't know. I guess.
1: After that, it's just a matter of frying up the stove, pouring slightly spicy hot soup in, and waiting for it to boil. Sounds easy? The real challenge is none of his family members had experienced hot pot before.
2: Um, Anthony, you talked about hot pot and you're cooking hot pot, but I didn't really understand what it was.
1: Anthony's mom Jennifer is right. It took a while for Anthony's parents and two brothers to gather ingredients in the pot, let them simmer, and add another round of vegetables and meat comfortably.
2: We started off putting the food in for them one by one, but before too long, the others got the gist of it. It was pretty messy, though. I did splash the soup on him a few times.
1: But once night started flying by, the atmosphere was lively.
2: I found that, like, it was good because everyone was, you know, sitting around a table and focusing on something that had been made that everyone could communally grab and like take bits and pieces and eat rather than everyone focused on their own meals like we normally
3: have.
1: That was Anthony's brother and this is Anthony's dad.
3: I think hot pot is a food that lends itself to a family or a group of friends gathering and eating together. I think it's important.
1: I always loved the hot pot's consist warmth as it kept simmering throughout the entire meal. Unsurprisingly, I was feeling at home that night but I can't stop asking. Apart from the meal setting and the taste of familiarity, what made me feel at home exactly? It's great to learn different things about different cultures
2: and also learning that we are all the same because, you know, when you don't meet people from different cultures or don't know people from different cultures, you don't really understand. But when, like, meeting you, um, learned a lot about your culture and that you really are not much different. Um, I mean, you have different ways in some,
1: you know, different food, different um, ways, but still the same. Jennifer found the answer for me. They were willing to embrace our differences with arms outstretched. And through this, I feel welcomed in spite of the differences in our language and culture. Then I asked Anthony's dad what it means to him that his son has a Chinese girlfriend.
3: Ooh, well, that, that's a good question my son anthony has a chinese girlfriend and i think that is wonderful do i think it is different or novel or interesting i think it is but i think it isn't our culture is so enriched by the number of people that come into australia from a variety of areas and and i think it is quite normal and quite expected that we should mix together
1: when elster was talking Anthony's mother made the shape of a heart with her hands and there was a warm smile on her face on the other side of the living room. When the moonlight was shining into the house, being around them, the hot pot was not only a dinner or social event. It was about me finding another home on the other side of the ocean. That night, I came home and I made video call to my parents. I said, Mom and Dad, I can't express how much I look forward to the reunion with you. The day we eat our favourite hot pot together. The day I wouldn't need to cook hot pot by myself. A day like I never really left.
0: That story was produced by Imin Tiang. You're listening to All The Best. I'm Mel Chun. At All The Best, you can learn how to make audio documentaries, essays and fiction. If you have a story to tell, get in touch. Visit allthebestradio.com and send us your pitch. We'll pair you with one of our supervising producers to help make your story. This week, we're talking about Chinese New Year and Missing Home. Way back in the 1880s in Tasmania, the Chinese New Year festival was an important way for the Chinese tin miners to reconnect with home. But it was also a way for them to connect to their new home as well. These festivals brought the Chinese and European communities together, and they also raised funds for important infrastructure around the city of Launceston. Nowadays in Tassie, the history of the Chinese tin miners is virtually unheard of. Last year, I set out to change that and started putting together this audio documentary about the Chinese history of Tasmania. This next piece is a shortened version of episode one. I was living in Tasmania for quite some time a few years at least, before I ever heard about the Chinese tin miners. There were some local amateur histories online, and a surprising figure kept coming up. Ten to one. At the height of the tin mining boom, between 1886 and 1896, the Chinese outnumbered the Europeans ten to one in some areas of the northeast. More than one source claimed Given these numbers, what was even more surprising was how few people, even those with generations of family in Tasmania, were aware of the presence of Chinese people here at all. My family are all from the west coast, so they would have no idea. There was like, you know, mm. a large number of Chinese tin miners in the northeast. That's Ben Cannings, a Tasmanian-born musician and composer and a very good friend who I had asked to make an original score for this project. He took the task to heart and accompanied me on my research journey to get a sense of the atmosphere. In 1901, my great-grandfather escaped from China and came to Australia as a political refugee. Having suffered greatly in a China rocked by famine, war and foreign interference, he refused to teach his children Chinese or share anything about his past. The stories of the Chinese miners and their families in Tasmania though perhaps not well-documented or widely taught, at least exist, this is my attempt to bring them to life and to give them the audience they deserve. This is Tin Valley, the Chinese history of Tasmania. My first stop was to the home of Jan Everett, a direct descendant of the Chinese tin miners, living just outside of Hobart in the beachside town of Kingston. Jan's father's maternal grandfather was Chin Montok, who had moved from the Victorian goldfields to the Tasmanian tinfields in the 1870s. Many Chinese miners made this move from the mid to late 1800s due to restrictions on Chinese immigration on the mainland as well as an increase in racism and violence in Victoria's goldfields, Word got around the Chinese communities that there was less racism in Tasmania, and many decided to try their fortunes here.
1: Because of the racism in, in Ballarat at the time, he thought it would be a good move for the family. So um, they came over and found that it was like he said, so they, they stayed. He sent for the wife and, and the kids and they stayed.
0: Jan grew up in Weldborough, and at that point, her family was still mining in the area. She remembers watching her father and grandfather extracting the tin.
1: My father's father, um, he mined most of his life. He also ran cattle, but he mined up until 1957, I think. And I, I used to go when I was little with them to the, when they mined. Dad would blow the bank with the gelignite and then they'd run it down the sluice and collect the tin and then they'd take it home and they'd re-sluice it at home to get, to refine it down.
0: It became clear that I would have to travel to the northeast, the centre of the 19th century tin rush, where Chinese communities had lived, nestled in the harsh Tasmanian bush. Ben and I packed our recording gear into my little Suzuki and headed north. Our first stop was the Launceston Museum, home of the restored Chinese temple.
3: This is the Temple, previously known as Joss House. Wow.
0: I had arranged to meet John Addison, a history curator at the museum who specialises in the Chinese history of northeast Tasmania. The temple was full of beautiful artifacts, gold gilded plaques symbolic vessels with secret messages in gold thread, ceremonial weapons, incense burners, libation bowls, and carved wooden furniture imported from China. It fascinated me that such incredible items could have been residing in a little bush timber temple in the middle of Tasmania's wilderness in the 19th century. But what seemed to interest John the most were the pieces that represented adaption. So
3: another item is this gong. Really fascinating piece of make, do and mend. Because the gong itself...
0: And I Would you like to...? Yeah, I'll, um, I'll turn this down a little bit so it doesn't max yeah. out. Is it quite loud? Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Perfect. Do you want another one? Yes, yeah, to... please. So how old is that?
3: This has been from the 1880s, so probably 1883, 1881... Okay. So the interesting thing is the gong itself is a traditional Chinese temple gong. Uh, What's interesting is how they mounted it. So it's got a stand that would be locally made. Have a look at the actual mount.
0: Oh, it's like a bicycle. It's a bicycle rim. After chatting to John for over an hour, it was clear that he was passionate about this area of research. But it was also good to hear that he saw a purpose to it as well. The same purpose I had envisioned when I started this project.
3: One of the big stories that I think we need to tell is the fact that the history of Tasmania is not as Eurocentric as everyone thinks it is. So, for example, one of the major early businessmen in Launceston was black. A man called Dickie White ran a um, a hotel and an auction house and was really, really well known for being a snappy dresser. He was was a convict, transported for... um, was for, um, robbery, sorry, yes.
0: I just want to reiterate that. The street in Launceston that is now named after an English duke was once named after a flamboyant black businessman who was previously a highway robber.
3: It's a, an invented past.
0: It's an invented past. You've been listening to part one of Tin Valley, an audio documentary about the Chinese history of Tasmania. In part two, my research journey takes me to Weldborough, a tiny town nestled in the forest of northeast Tasmania, once the industrious centre of the Chinese tin mining community. That story was produced by me with a grant from the Judith Nielsen Institute and Walkley Fund. Ben Cannings wrote the music. You can listen to the full episode at melchun.com. Slash tin Valley. All the Best would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands on which we make these stories and pay our respects to Elders past and present. All the Best is made at FBI Radio on Gadigal land in association with Sin and 3RRR on Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung and Boonwurrung lands and 8 C on Arunda and Wurrungamungu lands. Our editorial manager is me, Mel Chun, and our production manager is Danny Stewart. Emma MFM is our social media producer. And Lydia Yosifova is our community and events coordinator. Shining Bird composed our theme music. And Annie Hamilton designed the artwork. We're heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network. And we're made possible by the Community Broadcasting Foundation. You can find out more at cbf.org.au. You can find more episodes by searching for All the Best wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Melchun. Thanks for listening.